Welcome everyone who's joining this live. Today is a good live. We're talking anxiety in children, young adults, um, and the relationship with the family members. Um, so we've got a psychologist on. If you can all put in the comments your anxiety level at the moment. Number one, we are feeling relaxed as anything. Number 10, yeah, it's straight up panic attack. I want to see in the comments where we're at today, please, guys. And I hope you all, um, if we're at an eight or a nine, I hope you can all reduce that anxiety while you're listening to my wonderful guest today. We have a, a psychologist on who's going to speak about tips to do with children, young adults uh, and anxiety. So I hope you all enjoy it. Hi, Regine. Hello. Hello, Dean. Nice to be here today. And are you okay, yeah? Yes, yes. All good. You can hear me well. I can hear you perfect. So well, firstly, Regine, I'd like to say thank you very much uh, for taking your time out to uh, hop on uh, the DLC platform. Um, I know um, a lot of the um, followers, they've been um, submitting questions for you. And um, just to gain just a little bit of your expertise uh, around anxiety and just how it's changed. Uh, everyone's anxiety levels have really increased um, given given the situation that we're all in. Um, so if for people who may not know who you are, can you just give a brief background of uh, why you got into psychology, how long you've been doing it? And also, um, I believe you're an author as well. So everything that you've done on that aspect. Yes, yes. So first, thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to be here and talk about um, an important subject and topic. Uh, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm based out of Los Angeles. Really? I work with children, with teens, with young adults. Um, I'm also a parenting expert. Uh, but the main bulk of my practice is anxiety. Um, I also do a lot of speaking and parenting events. Um, and anxiety is one of the most, gosh, sought after topics. Um, especially now during the pandemic, I think it's a really big one as well. Um, I've been in practice for about 15 years. Okay. And um, I recently authored a children's book called Frankie and the Worry Bees, which was uh, birthed out of this pandemic. Uh, as I was noticing that, you know, a lot of my clients were just having a really hard time connecting on Zoom. And Zoom fatigue and Zoom anxiety. And so I found it super helpful through the use of illustrations and just, you know, just finding another way of communicating uh, was super helpful. And I noticed health reduce, you know, children and teens and adults and parents as well, uh, their anxiety levels and really switching the mindset. I think that's what's important because we're all stuck in this unknown, I think, right now. So that's why everyone's uh, anxiety. Whoever is anxious is feeling even more anxious right now. No, for sure. Um, and it's interesting what you said about the Zoom fatigue because I think when everyone went into lockdown at first, there was almost it was almost a new thing, wasn't it? So everyone's excited of of hopping onto virtual communities. But then as the months went on, I do believe I do agree with you that there was uh, definitely some fatigue. And um, yeah, it's, so regarding the book, what feedback have you had uh, so far? 
Oh, wow. So the, I, it was never in the plans to write a children's book. And I think that's what made it so beautiful. Um, I don't know how you feel, but I think when things come out out of spontaneity, I think it just comes out even better. Um, and what I did notice was I first did a lot of research. So I did a lot of research on my clients, on my own kids. I'm a mom of three, uh, just having them kind of give me their own feedback. And uh, it's really uh, the story of just positive affirmations. I have the book here and it pretty much started. I want to show this. Um, it started with this picture right here. Um, so I'll kind of go over that. And if you yeah. see, you have a little boy with a bunch of bees up here on one side and then an empty bubble there. So of course I give all credits to my incredible illustrator, uh, Timna Green, she's incredible. Uh, I'm not an illustrator at all. So just kind of drew a stick figure with two bubbles. And yeah. I felt that I just needed to, in order to engage people online was to kind of use illustrations and ideas. So I do a lot of that work anyway. And the idea was, okay, I can imagine that your anxiety is like a bunch of bees. Just think about it that way, buzzing in your head and just won't leave you alone. And all you want to do is just run away from it or retreat from it. Mm -hmm. So why don't you write down, because kids have a lot of hard time, you know, expressing how they feel, sharing their negative emotions. So writing is a very powerful tool. So I'd have them write down, we would do it together, write down all your negative thoughts that you're thinking. Let's say, let's just talk about Zoom at school which was a real a big headache for a lot of kids and, and connecting. I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Um, I won't succeed. Uh, you know, anything to do with negative thinking, which I think anxiety really, that that's how it kind of shows up. There's a trigger and then the negative thoughts come in and then you start believing in those thoughts. So it's all about how do we shift that around? Um, and then the empty bubble was writing down all the positives. I can do this. I am successful. I will do well. I am brave. And everyone can kind of work with it as they want. I've had adults use it. They loved it. I've had teenagers, uh, the little guys use it. So I think it was just shifting everything into a positive. Now, not to discount, and this is really important because we talk a lot about toxic positivity. Like we can't, when someone's feeling anxious, we can't discount their emotions and their feelings. It's not saying, I, I don't believe, you know, don't say that. It's not saying that, but what it's saying is, I hear you, write it down. I can see you're feeling frustrated. I can see you're feeling anxious. Let them talk it through. But then I really want you to try to focus on these positive statements here because this is really who you are. Your anxiety doesn't define who you are. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that, right? In that anxious state. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, when, they're, when they're having these negative thoughts, um, and like you said, I think it really is a good technique to, to move it from the mind to another source. So to like you say, to write that down to a piece of paper because um, Obviously, the anxiety and the irrational thoughts is all about being stuck in your own head. So just have doing, just having the process of writing down them thoughts, I believe, would um, take the worry off your shoulders. I imagine. Yes. Yeah. And also, also with the speech bubbles, uh, that that sounds very much like CBT. Is that right? Absolutely. So that's what I very good. Yes. So I specialize in CBT, which is you know cognitive behavioral therapy for um, our viewers who are not familiar with that. And that's pretty much you know writing down 
journaling, um, very solution focused work, right? And then I do incorporate a lot of the times going into deeper, you know, when I want to go in a little deeper and to understand what is the trigger and what is the cause of the anxiety and where that's coming from. But I feel like first you have to kind of like settle, it's, it's like putting water on the fire and settling everything down first before you can go in a little deeper and really understand what's that main trigger that's making you think this way. Yes. No, that's really good. Um, I'd like to dive into the uh, the questions uh, from the followers because um, they do have some questions. Um, I'll just get them up for you now. Um, the first question is, what signs should I look out for in my teenage son um, if his anxiety has got worse? Um, so um, I don't think they relate the Heather feeling to the parents. So would you say there was any tips or any signs to look out for um, if someone is closed uh, but feeling anxious? Yes. Um, so I want to go back to, before I get into that, just something really important uh, for that parent that's important to think about is building communication. Uh, you know, teenagers in general, they're just thinking, you know, one-way street, I'm, you know, it's my way or the highway, or I don't really want to express yeah. myself. So I'm really big on active listening and switching the roles a little bit. So really having the parent step back and ask the child or their teenager, or even with adults, I feel too, uh, when we're dealing with conflict with parents or we're not sure what's happening in that moment. And just doing a lot of active listening, which can look like this. I know you probably don't want to talk right now, but I'm here for you. I do want to listen. Um, I mean, I've had parents sometimes, they would feel so frustrated because they would walk into the room. I would tell them, just keep on walking in the room. Just say, I'm here. I'm here to listen. Tell yeah. me when you're ready, right? So that can be very helpful. Now, in terms of signs to look out for, uh, one of the biggest ones are sleeping. So. It's really important for teenagers to get about, well, ideally, especially now, uh, eight to 10 hours of sleep per night. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is withdrawal, social withdrawal. But that's again, a little challenge right now because we are in a pandemic yeah. where there isn't much interaction. Uh, but I would be, you know, just be mindful and just look if they're not communicating as much with their friends, whether it's via social media or they're not, you know, texting as much or you just see them more isolated. So I think those are other important points. Um, I always also look for physical symptoms and signs. This is not for everyone, but it is a big toddler in terms of nail biting, uh, panic attacks, difficulty breathing. Uh, lack of appetite is a big one. You know, they just kind of tend to like internalize a lot of the anxiety so your appetite either decreases and some I've seen it kind of increases so some abnormal patterns there um, dry mouth uh, dizziness chest pain uh, throat you know especially when their throat gets tight I think a lot of teens will identify oh I'm just not feeling so good my throat's feeling tight or I'm having a stomach ache and now I think we all go to COVID oh wait a minute your throat's hurting what's going on but so it's just a stepping back as a parent and really looking for those cues uh, and noticing that. And again, I think the communication is so, so powerful uh, at the end of the day, just sitting down and, and doing that. And I do the same, you know, with my daughter too. It's just when she kind of detaches a little bit or doesn't want to talk, I'm like, it's okay. I'm here. And whenever you're ready, let me know. And then sometimes they never tell you they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just checking in. Would you say, is, is there actual science behind the active listening? So going in 
uh, and doing them things is that like is, is it like a proven method to, for someone to open up is it yes i think it's it's all control right i feel like at the end of the day it's like with anxiety kids like to feel that they are in control of their decision making especially nowadays i feel teens from what i'm seeing in the last 15 years they're incredible i mean these are future leaders they are outspoken they're driven they're opinionated mm -hmm. so i think it's really hard for parents now to to hear that I'm like oh my gosh you have such a strong opinion on this topic versus seeing it as rudeness or they're not being polite uh, but that could also be a sign of anxiety where they're feeling more frustrated or moody uh and and you know the mood swings etc yeah. so that all goes hand in hand but I, I think it comes back to control. And when kids feel, and teens, and even us as adults, when we feel we have control over a situation where we're ready to talk about it, when you've given me that space, and I know you're there, and you're not gonna judge me, you're not gonna give me a lecture, then maybe I'll come to you and I'll talk to you. And I think that's what feels safe with also the therapist. Yeah. There is no judgment there. And uh, I think anxiety also, um almost speeds off um, the feeling of a lack of control as well, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, especially when that trigger comes in, right? And you feel something yeah. and you're, you're just so fearful of that panic attack upcoming or the, the anxiety or whatever it is that's going to pop up and take over your body. And I think that's your body telling you, well, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? I always tell people, what's the worst? You're going to pass yeah. out, right? I mean, that's the worst. <laughs> um, but I think even for people, they get scared of that. But I think when you frame it even that way, there's like, oh, okay, so I am going to be okay. I was okay two weeks ago and I did survive that. So it helps to kind of reframe that. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I'd like to move on to uh, the yeah. next question, which is what should I do um, if I can't open up um, to people about my emotions, so this is from a younger um, teen um, and they're actually speaking about maybe how do they approach their teacher or how do they approach their parent. Um, would you say there was any tips to, to go in with? Yes, I, I always go back with kids or teens or even adults who feel more uh, introverts. This sounds like more of an introverted type person. Uh, but also it is something just for parents to know too. It's a learned behavior, right? So if we don't speak, if we don't speak about our emotions, a lot of the times kids don't learn how to speak about their emotions because it's a lot of work, right? It takes work to sit there for hours or 30 minutes or 20 minutes a day and just checking in on them and just poking and asking questions. Uh, but a lot of the times it's just part of your personality. You could have yeah. a very outspoken family and you're just an introvert and internalize everything. So I think that's like important to, to, to understand. Now let's give an example with the teacher. So a lot of times teens and kids, when they're in the classroom, they'll feel that, well, I'm the only one who has that question. So I have that, I have a scene like that in my Frankie book where he's so scared of raising his hand because he feels like his question is dumb or it's not gonna yeah. be uh, interesting enough. And it's all about, you know, again, I go back to the journaling piece and role playing. So I would advise this person, you know, what could really help is writing down, you know, what is it that you want to ask the, the teacher? And also remembering there's never, ever, ever a stupid question. No. Um, when I used to teach, this is something I used to tell my students all the time. You can ask me whatever you feel like. And even as a teacher, I think it's important for them if there's teachers listening 
to kind of always have that open door policy that you can come to me with anything and I'm here and that feels less threatening. Um, if still the person feels embarrassed and doesn't want to ask anything, they can wait after class. They could do it through an email. I think now with Zoom, there's so much pinning going on that I think kids are even more retracted and they don't want to ask any questions. Another tip could be role playing with your mom or your dad or your sibling. You know, I want to ask this question or I want to work through this emotion. Let's role play it. So I do a lot of role play too. And that really gives them that confidence. So it's kind of like practicing what you want to ask. Um, now, let's say you want to open up, you know, you're in a relationship or with a friend and, you know, that comes from a fear, a fear again of judgment. What are they going to think of me if I share this or how, what are they going to feel about me? And it's again, going back to start slow, maybe baby steps. People love, love to talk about themselves, right? So get to know that person, have them start opening up and then maybe you'll find something in common or share something. I call it the sugars and spices. The spices are the things that during your day, you didn't have a good time. Maybe you were in a hard class or you couldn't do an assignment. Share that with a friend. So I want to say really start with things that are non-threatening or that you feel are not as vulnerable for you to share. And then it's just going to take some time. Again, if we don't know the exact specific question, but just I'm trying to give a general uh, no, notion. Of course. Yeah. And um, would you say that, um, I'm just uh, thinking, um, would you say the reason um, that we think this, that other people feel this way is because because of our inner critic and our, how uh, critical we are with ourselves. Is that the reason that, that we believe that the other people have this um, warped opinion about what we might say or, or how we might be feeling? I, I, I feel there's two parts to that. Yes, I think that on one hand, we may feel critical about ourselves or we have probably been criticized or judged or we may have had that negative experience that has kind of created this mini trauma, so to speak, where you're just like, oh, okay, I'm not gonna ask that again, or I won't share about that again, whatever the topic is. Mm -hmm. But there's also another side is listening to your intuition. I feel that as humans, we have such strong intuition. And a lot of the times I teach people to step back and I tell them, wait a minute, how did Johnny make you feel? And then Jane will say, I'm just making up some names. Jane will say, well, he made me feel angry and frustrated. And I don't know, I'm not sure what he's thinking about me. Uh, uh, maybe he doesn't like me, or maybe he's thinking that I'm not smart enough, let's say. So then I switch it around and I say, well, it's very possible that that's what Johnny probably feels about himself. Because as humans, we do internalize other people's emotions. It's like walking into a room and you kind of feel the energy around you and you're like, oh, I'm not really feeling comfortable here. I think I'm going to go. A lot of the times it's important to step back and listen to both of those voices and trust yourself with that. So I think there's two things going on there. No, that's, uh, that's really thorough. Uh, thank you very much for the explanation. Yeah. Uh, the next question is, um, I'm up late at night studying and it increases my anxiety, especially the closer I am to my deadline. Um, do you have any uh, tips with um, like managing um, anxiety around deadlines? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna assume I don't know because we don't have much info for that question. Let's assume that this person was procrastinating or leaving it till the last minute. I know that a lot of people feel good leaving things till the last minute, and it makes them more motivated when they know, oh, this paper's due on Monday, so I better get it done. But I think that if you're more of an anxious personality, what's going to happen is you're gonna shut down. And I think this is what what's happening here. So I'm, I have some tips on that in terms of chunking out your assignments or chunking out your time. Uh, so what you could do is, for example, you know, if you have an assignment was given to you four days prior or whatever it is, even if it's for work, uh, whatever it is that you have to do, is chunking out the time and working in 30 minute increments and putting a timer. Okay, so I also have this in my Frankie book as a suggestion, so it works for everyone. Putting a timer for 30 minutes and taking a breather, then going back to it for another 30 minutes. Because I think what happens is people who are anxious, they see, like just imagine you open a book and you have now a list of 10 assignments to do. This is what's happening right now on Zoom, you know, uh, with a lot of the kids, they open it up and they see 20 assignments and they freak out. And I think it's that adrenaline rushing and thinking, how am I going to get through this? And so they become anxious and then the procrastination sets in, which I call more it's avoidance. It's not that they don't want to do it. Yeah. It's they're just not sure how they're going to tackle it. There's an app I love and I swear by it works so well. It's called UCLA Mindful. It's now they have an app. And there are different types of meditations. There are three minutes, five minutes. There's a sleeping one for 13 minutes. And the idea here is to really train ourselves to slow down, take a minute, and just step back. And I think that's what's important. And to breathe. Because I think right now, Zoom fatigue, I'm calling it also non-moving fatigue. We have completely shifted. We're not doing our normal routine anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that has also impacted a lot of people who normally were like, wait a minute, I didn't have anxiety and all of a sudden I'm anxious. This is really interesting. So um, I think that's another, another important point. Yeah. Well, I think as humans, um, we, we live for a routine, don't we? And so, like you said, because everyone's routine now is, is different or they're, they're struggling. I think that's where obviously they're seeing, like you said, this increase in anxiety. Um, with, regarding mindfulness, um, I am again a, a big believer uh, in mindfulness and uh, being aware of, of your thoughts and uh, bringing the attention and focus back to your breath. Um, would you say there was a, um, a set amount of time that you should spend on that, a, a day or a week, or would you say it's just uh, different for each individual? I think it's different, yes. I think it's different for each person. Again, that's one of the things Let's say a client will ask me that same question and I go back to control. So I'll tell them, what would you be able to do? If this is the first time you're doing an app like this or an exercise, what can you commit to? And, you know, first we'll try it out in session, but then I'll also kind of teach them how to breathe, breathing in through your nose, really deep breath in and out. And it has the same effect when you start feeling a little lightheaded and you see the effect, it's amazing. So I would say, you know, 
if they're having insomnia or trouble sleeping, the 13 minute nighttime one, you just put it by your bed and it just turns off when it's done. It's incredible. If you're out, it's amazing. Um, the three minute one is very helpful for a really quick um, guide and just to ground yourself. So you could do it in the morning. You could do it um, in the middle of the day, at night, multiple times a day, whenever you feel, you know, you have access to it. I think now because we have more time, so to speak, and, and we're home and we're in our own privacy, we have more of the ability to use that. No, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the, the next question is, um, what is the youngest possible age a child can be diagnosed with anxiety? Yes. Um, so that's a, another good one. Uh, so there's, I, I think it's important to decipher that there's different types of anxiety, right? So that's why I can't just say one age. So if we look at, for example, separation anxiety in children, 18 months, we see it as young as 18 months. Really? Yes. Um, them having difficulty separating from the parent, you know, ongoing crying and tantrum is it a form? It's a form of anxiety developing, right? But you can you can start diagnosing it as soon as I want to say eighteen months. You start seeing it, and then you have something we call selective mutism, right? So kids who don't speak till a certain age, yeah, um, and that can take off. I want to say, I mean, I've seen as early as four to five, but then we have there's a lot of kids I've seen in speech two years old so that's another form of anxiety and then I feel like it kind of dissipates and then you see it again really hit hard in third grade it's so interesting it's kind of like there's that little break um, and then third grade is when the anxiety disorder kind of starts fully developing and whatever there's usually a trigger that happens because people ask often well why did it just hit in third grade but then when you go back to the history you're like noticing oh Oh, you had a speech delay, you had some separation anxiety as a child, and we know that anxiety is genetic, right? So it's a genetic component. So it's not, I think that's where people, you know, when we, when we talk about what is, there's anxiety, just which is a very healthy and, and normal reaction that we do need as to function and get our adrenaline, but then you have the, um, the, the clinical diagnosis, which is a little more intense, where you can't function, you keep on thinking and thinking and the repetitive thoughts. So uh, covered that, there's selective mutism, separation anxiety, and there's also generalized anxiety disorder. So this is the most common one I see in children, which is a fear of everything. It's like fear of, it could be a fear of an animal, it could be a fear of eating, it could be a fear of vomiting, it could be, any type of fear, social anxiety as well. So there's different formats. And a lot of times when I say to people, oh, your child has anxiety, they'll just look at me and say, what does that mean? Yeah. And because there are different forms. So it's just explaining it, how unique it is to each person and how it presents. Definitely. Um, I'd just like to ask your opinion on something. One of the posts that um, I did, um, I think it was two or three posts back on, on Instagram, um, it created like a good uh, debate within the comments and that um, uh, it was saying that, well, I was just wondering what your opinion on 
what age do you think um, children should be taught about, out, like, about mental health, the importance of mental health and anxiety? And also, do you think it that should be um, that should be up to the parents uh, to teach them that, or do you think that that should happen in school and should happen earlier in school? Yes, I I think it should be. We, we in in the states here we call it social emotional learning. So it, it's it started it's being adopted in a lot of the schools. You know, there's usually a therapist on campus. We talk a lot about mental health mental health days. Um, but I, I think it has to be discussed more. I think there's not enough, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm seeing it. Kids are embarrassed. This is what they say, I want to be normal. I'm not normal. And it's all about reframing what normal is. Um, you know, and it's how other kids kind of treat mental health. And then they feel embarrassed of their disability, whether they have, you know, I work with kids who have ADHD, anxiety, depression. So if kids feel comfortable because in their home like we speak about mental health so openly it's like to me it's not a big deal you know the child says, oh i have adhd or i have anxiety and then you'll see the other i just saw it the other day this parent said no no don't say that don't say that and when you say don't say that you're now making them feel that this is a problem and yeah. it's not a problem it's part of who they are so let me educate you um, so I think from the parent perspective, I think it's so important to normalize it in the sense that, yes, this is one of my weaknesses, but this does not define who I am. And But I am good at other things, and these are the things that I am good at. So I think that's where parents have to kind of create that switch in normalizing, well, we all have weaknesses, we all struggle with something. This is something I struggle with. Let me teach you about it. Let me tell you about it. You will be surprised when you start that conversation. I'm, you know, I'm an advocate. I, you know, I'm like a bulldozer when it comes to stuff like this in terms of protecting kids and really normalizing mental health and, and creating that awareness, decreasing the stigma. And when you say that, the parent now will come back. I've had it happen. Oh my gosh, do you think my child has ADHD or has anxiety or has this? And I love it because it created that conversation. Now that child will get the support that they need. But it starts in the home. You're right. Yes. Um, and with teachers and the schools need to be more open about it because then it won't be so stigmatized because that's when they feel they internalize the thing. Oh, I'm not normal. Something's wrong with me. And that's the negative thinking that is not okay that does not allow you to move forward yeah so it sounds like obviously a collective society uh, driven thing like you say in the home and reinforced in school as well um and like you say you know changing those attitudes um for the children as well but i do feel and and you just touched on it i believe them attitudes may actually come from the parents yeah so thinking that anxiety isn't normal and they can't speak about it might be because when they're at home they can't they can't speak about it or they may have been uh, dismissed when they did bring it up yeah absolutely i like that word you use it it's it's exactly that it's a dismissal of their feelings it kind of goes back to that toxic positivity oh no 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 you don't have that no 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 you there's nothing to be embarrassed about you know and i think that's where it takes us to educate and and be that voice for them so that they can be their voice when they're older 
and being able to say, well, yes, you know what? I had a deadline. This was really hard for me. I could not turn that in. And let me tell you why I couldn't turn it in. This is what I went through last night. And that's powerful. No, definitely. So, and getting that validation from the other person and say, okay, it's not about not turning something in or not doing a project or an assignment. So I will get this done, but I do need more time. So I'm really big on teaching kids and teens and adults, advocate for yourself. It's okay, talk about it. Because if you don't, no one knows and no one can help you. So I think there's that shame in asking for help or saying I need more time around that. I think that's where they get kind of stuck. No, that's, that's a very good point, that. So, yeah, any children that are listening, if you are struggling and you do have a deadline, it, it doesn't doesn't hurt to, to ask for an extension. And, and just be open and honest and have these conversations about anxiety and mental health, isn't it? Yes, and I always say you're not your anxiety. It's not you. No. You are, you're stronger than that. And it's all about beating it. And that's the internal voice. And that's the whole point of my book is to really beat those bees out. Sorry, I feel bad for all the bee people who love, I mean, I love bees, right? My grandfather had a beekeeper beehive and we still <laughs> make honey. Um, but it's just the analogy of that's what it feels like, this buzzing sound that just doesn't go away. Only you hear it, no one else hears it, no one else feels it. And you have to sit there and explain what that means to people because they don't get it. No. No, that's a really good analogy. I do have one more question from the platform, which is, how do I approach my parents who think that the anxiety that I'm getting is down to my uh, the technology I'm using? So it sounds like they're on games, sounds like um, they, may, they may think that it's all to do with their mobile phones. Um, and they believe this, this child or, or team believes that they're being dismissed uh, regarding what their anxiety is about, and the parents are just putting it down to social media and phone and and all things technology this is one of my favorites because sometimes i'm just going to be honest and here and transparent i'm a mom of three right i have a 15 a 12 and a nine-year-old and i'll tell my daughter you know oh my gosh it's the it's the social media it's the devices and she's sat me down so many times i mean they're your best teachers right so teenagers and she'll say mom it has nothing to do with the device so I actually have a great technique for this. Uh, so it sounds like in this case, we have someone who has a hard time communicating or letting know the parent, I'm assuming, that they're in need of help or support or that it's actually the schoolwork. So we have two things here. So on one hand, and I've actually researched this, I've asked uh, my teens, you know, whether it's in my practice, even my kids, and actually, the devices, especially now, let's say you're on social media or Instagram or Snapchat or conversing with your friends, actually distracts them from the anxious feeling. So it's like a distraction. Maybe they're watching Netflix, whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, it has that positive note. However, let's assume they're on Zoom. I know this is happening. They're sitting there with their phone and they're scrolling through and they're not really paying attention to what's going on in class. And it's very hard, especially for anxious kids to multitask and to do two things at the same time because you have the teacher talking or there's an assignment going on and then you have your phone. So a good technique, I just wanna go over this and then some tips on how to approach the parent. 
Um, so what I found really success, uh, successful even with my clients is actually they'll come up with these, these ideas. It's really awesome. They'll say, well, you know what? I tried putting my phone in my desk. I put it on silent and I left it there and I decided to only check it maybe at snack and lunchtime. Great solution. Or if I'm really wanting to touch it, I'll put it in another room and I'll just turn it off. Now, the obsession is looking at your notifications. What came through? What is everyone doing? But if you are mindful and you step back and you're like, this is really impacting me right now. I'm not able to attend to any lessons. I'm not doing my work. Then I need to put it away. So it really takes that person or the parent to have that conversation. Now let's switch it over. Now let's assume that that child is saying or teenager is saying to the parent, you know, I'm really struggling in this math class. I'm getting a D or I'm getting an F or I'm not able to do this. So there's a couple things that come to my mind and this is what I tell my clients as well. Number one, tell, write down every single class you're taking and I need you to tell me exactly what is happening in each one of those classes. Are you not turning in your stuff? Yes or no? No, I'm turning it in. Okay. How much effort are you putting in? And I always have people and they have to answer this to me. What I mean by effort is, do you feel like you did your best? So I go back to the questioning and they'll say, no, I didn't do my best. And you only know your best because grades to me, it's not about the grades. I really don't care about the grades. For me, it's all about, did you put your best effort on this? You studied for three hours. You did everything you could. This is the grade you got. You feel good about your performance. That's all that matters. Um, so there's that. So that they can kind of have a better vision. And if a parent is listening, just really doing that check-in to see what is happening in each of those classes where they're failing or struggling. And maybe they need extra support. So reaching out to the teacher, hey, I'm really struggling in your class. I don't understand this. I have something that I really always recommend my clients. I say you have a product, I call it the problem solution notebook, right? And they have this on their desk. Even my kids do. And I have them do this. If you're in a math class and you don't understand page 52, exercise three, or you don't understand that fraction chapter or whatever it is you're doing, write it down. Write it down and then put it away and then make sure that you do a check-in at the end of the day. So otherwise, what happens? Things pile up. Now you have a test coming up and you just, you don't know the information because you didn't do the follow-through, you didn't check in. So again, the link to technology and studying difficulties, yes, of course. I mean, if I'm on my device, that's something the person within themselves has to step back and realize, oh yeah, I'm kind of on that a lot, yes. And I'm not really paying attention. If that's what's happening, take a breather, put it away and see how that goes. And if you're really tempted, give it to your parent or put it in another room. No, so really it good. takes that initiative, right, to, yeah. to do that. But I think, um, like you said, if if it's controlled and it's not it's not an addiction, then it could almost be a form of mindfulness. Yes, yes. So I and yeah, of course. And I think when they're not in school, if this is a teen question, if they're not in school, this is their place to go. I mean, I'm getting the same question with video games. Uh, for example, you know, even in our household, like there are no devices Monday through Friday, for example. 
when there was school because there's all these things happening so there was no time for it um actually with my friends this weekend we were talking about that and we because they're all gaming together the boys and we kind of came to an agreement regime what is a good time let's set a time and we all agreed to eight o'clock shut it off and i always say one hour before bedtime you need a calming even for us adults one hour before bedtime no screens because that blue light does this to the front part of your brain yeah even though you turn it off oh i turn off the blue light it's fine <laughs> and then you can't go to sleep you know and then you have insomnia or you have you know nightmares or dreams that unwanted dreams i know people getting you know that you tend to get up from sleep with anxiety having a panic attack so you know just having really good sleep hygiene that's what we call it is really uh important but it can have a positive effect i think right now kids need to socialize they need their friends they can't do it you know physically no they can't see each other so it's just about finding ways where they can connect yeah no that's wonderful. but in limits no in limits definitely yeah I think, that, I think that's a lovely place to end it, Regina. If, if people um, want to buy uh, the book, um, where can they head over uh, to get a, a copy of the book? Um, yes. what, what platforms is it on? So um, it's on my website, uh, www.regine.com, and I have a book tab, and you can order it directly from there. Uh, which links it to Amazon or on Amazon.com, easiest. You just type in Frankie and the Worry Bees and you'll see the book pop up. That's wonderful. And I will do um, a story swipe up as well um, for all the Thank followers you. that are watching um, so you can swipe up uh, and just get it from uh, one of the platforms. So that just leads me to say thank you very much. Um, for your time. Thank you very much for, for the wonderful um, educational answers uh, that you've given. I believe, well, I've been, what, I've been seeing all the comments. Um, everyone's been, yeah, all the hearts uh, coming up. So everyone's really appreciative of you taking the time out uh, and just to share your expertise uh, with us all. Um, so yeah, I'd like to thank you for everything. If people want to um, follow you on Instagram, um, what's 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 the best handle for them to search for? Um, it's Dr. Regine R E G I N E Muradian M U R A D I A N. So I also have tips and updates on my um, Instagram page as well, and I have the book on there as well. Yes, that's wonderful. Well, thank, thank you very you. much, Regine. It was lovely meeting you. Um, stay safe, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll all come out of this uh, on the other side. And thank you for your platform. Thank you so much. It's very informative. Awesome, awesome tips. So thank you as well. No problem. Thank you very much, Regine. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.